Welcome everybody to Flyover Footy. I am not Phil, so this might be a little interesting. Uh, my name is Matt Baker. I'm here with Santiago Beltran, and we're going to have a little bit of a different Flyover Footy for you tonight. Uh, it's going to be kind of a conversation, but we have some big things to talk about, so we're really excited. Before we dive into it all, Santi, how's it going? Uh, doing great, Matt. Um, I'm. This is one of, like, around this time of the year, especially... A day like today when it's really cold in St. Louis, I'm glad that I'm here in Puerto Rico during this time of the year. So enjoying some warm weather, uh, doing great. Yeah, definitely jealous on a day like today when we're recording. It's uh, day one of the, the freeze, the deep freeze in St. Louis. I think I saw the temperature is negative two outside right now. Oh, my God. We've got God. some thunder snow happening. That's I, crazy. I, 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 I don't miss St. Louis uh, on days like this. No, no. And, and I, it's kind of funny because I saw some of the uh, MLS guys who were in town for the Super Draft tweeting Andrew Wiebe, just hoping he could get out of town. You know, I you can see that. the line of storms coming through. And I think he made it back to KC. So that's nice. So everybody uh, kind of went their own separate ways after the Super Draft, got, got home safe and sound. And we, we got through the festivities. You know, we, we had our we had the Steve's hot dog thing on Monday. We had the schedule release on Tuesday, Wednesday, the Super Draft. And then everything just kind of shut down, froze. Everybody's bunkering, hunkering down, and you're off in the uh, in the promised land in comparison. <laughs> but lots of things happening this week for St. Louis CDSC. It is. It is. We have. Uh, I'm kind of curious how long our show's going to go. Usually we go, I don't know, an hour, fifteen, hour and a half when we're talking about some of these big things. But with just you and me, uh, you never know how how a conversation with us is really going to go. But we do have a lot of stuff to cover, so obviously uh, we're going to hit deep on the schedule, but I think we're going to start by going over some things with the draft. So looking at kind of an overview of the draft, the specifics for St. Louis City, and then kind of diving in deep into what it all means, putting all the pieces together that we have right now as we go into what we assume is a holiday break, and we have two new players to talk about. So... I don't know. Let's kick us off, kick it off with the uh, overview of the draft. Let's set the stage a little bit on where we were going into the super draft. So going into the super draft, Lutz has said uh, a few times in some interviews, we had 21 players. We had basically our starting lineup. Uh, we had some depth questions, but we had a lot of a lot of puzzle pieces in place. And so in the draft, as the expansion team, of course, we get the first round pick. We also had the 30th overall pick and the 59th overall pick. Uh, first pick in the second round, first pick in the third round. We had a lot of speculation. I think if you listen to our last show, Santi, we went through, had to have been five or six different scenarios, one of which played out. And so I think the, the prevailing thought going into the draft is that because we have not so many areas of need, we would look more to the best available off the board or the one who would fit our system the most, assuming we would even take that first spot because we did throw around some scenarios. We heard rumors that some teams were looking to move up, not necessarily St. Louis needed to move down, uh, but some other teams we would be willing to entertain. And we tossed around some ideas earlier on that were kind of crazy, but not too crazy in comparison you know, we, the last show, we talked about Colorado, we talked about San Jose, a couple hundred thousand in GAM, a player, an international slot. But I think what we got was a little more than we envisioned for GAM. And it, my understanding is that it was really driven by Charlotte FC. So going into the draft a few minutes before, 
we were expecting and we were in the super draft room uh i was Stu was we were we were with some uh, some of the supporters some of the fans and we were seeing what was happening and then phones started going off reports started breaking it was happening live while they were doing the pre-show just a few minutes i think lutz might have even been in the room with us waiting to go on air to announce the what was happening with the first pick and then the news was kind of permeating through the room that St. Louis City had traded out of the first pick for Charlotte FC to step in. St. Louis City was getting 400000 in GAM with another 50000 conditional GAM for this pick. And at that point, it was a little bit of the, the air was let out of the room, I feel. So in, in the room, there was all the excitement. We had a couple drums going, waiting for, waiting for that first pick, waiting to chant. And then there was a bit of deflation because you were wanting to cheer it. But there was also right. a lot of there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of interest on is this a good deal? Is it a bad deal? Like, what are they going to do with the pick? Uh, what does this mean for uh, Generation Adidas? All of that. So that was kind of what the room was like uh, there. What, what did you feel when you first heard about the trade? Well, um, it's interesting that you guys were there and, and you guys kind of saw what was going on. But, yeah, I saw it on social media. Um, Obviously, I think he was the the guy that usually comes up with this rumors, uh, Tom Boger. Tom Boger. Um, so I saw a tweet and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is a surprise. Uh, and when it said $400,000 and 50 conditional, I was like, wow, this looks like a great deal. And uh, we had been, we had talked about it a little bit on the previous show and also on our chat. Um, St. Louis has been doing a lot of things differently. And uh, the system is a different system. And just thinking about, okay, they are they may not go for the best player available. They are probably going for the best player that fits their system. And mm -hmm. that player may not be in the top five. So when I saw that, I was like, well, yeah, I guess this is what they are doing. They already know the guy they want and knowing what the other teams need. They feel like uh, that guy is not gonna go in the top five and um, they are gonna, I guess, risk it and, and still see if their guy is available. If not, teams always have like a number two, a number three. So to me, it makes sense. And it was a really good amount of money. I you usually don't see these high amounts of GAM. Record-breaking GAM for a super draft trade. So I was like, okay, uh, and I don't know. I know these guys always do things behind the scenes, and the fact that after after um, the pick was announced or the trade was announced, I remember if it was like in between or after, uh, there was an interview with with Bradley Bradley Carnell, and and uh, he was asked about the center mid position and that that was a hole. And he said, yeah, we we know that and we're working on that and looks like we may announce something soon. So at that point, everything started to make sense. It was like, well, if that center mid position looks like it's already taken care of and the team may already know what guy they want to pick on the draft and it's not going to be number one. Makes sense to get more to get some money that you right. can use later for that center mid or for other things that the team may need during the season. Which I, I don't necessarily want to say we called it, but that is for sure one of the scenarios that we threw out there is trading out of the spot, 
to accumulate GAM for a position of need. We, we knew that that center defensive mid was a position of need going into the draft. We also knew that there weren't very many players, if any, that really fit the mold for somebody you can slot in right away. Definitely not somebody you can slot in right away, but even you can develop throughout the year in the, in the Edu Leuven kind of mold, the six foot, six one, 200 pound kind of like truck in the middle of the field who can be part of the double pivot, who can really uh, throw his weight around and help on the defensive side as well. So when you have that position of need, you have all of these things that can you can come away from with, from the draft. That was obviously something that we were looking to and I couldn't couldn't be happier with what we ended up in that particular trade. What I thought was interesting though is hearing some of the quotes afterwards and trying to trying to play uh, Monday morning quarterback or or Sunday morning keeper. I don't know what the soccer term is for that. A lot of the quotes we're seeing now really get to this is the guy they wanted all along. Um, Owen O'Malley, who they eventually selected, was the guy they wanted all along. So you try to backtrack on what's happening in the moment. And you always want to know how much of this is pre-planned because in the expansion draft, totally different scenario. Most of it, if not all of it was pre-planned. It was a, it was a show to have like the three or five minute rounds, right? That was, that was done ahead of time. This, this was a lot more draft day style. So the draft itself is vastly different from other sports. But if you, if you try to piece together the timelines, here's how I kind of saw it playing out. And, and so let's get into the timeline a little bit of what happened. So, they made the trade right before the draft to trade out. They, so they went from first pick to the 20th pick, St. Louis City. 20th pick, you're not going to get a Generation Adidas player. Owen O'Malley is a Generation Adidas player. There was 11 of them in the draft. I don't, I don't care how many seniors are great. There was zero, like, a, there's a not like a 1% chance, I would say. Very, very minuscule. Because the last Generation Adidas player ended up going, I think, 18th or so um, in that. For, or no, it ended up going... Uh, 16th. Yeah, no, no, he went, went 22nd to Cincinnati. Sorry. So there was, oh, there was wow. one yeah. after that. So they, but he was a defender. Yeah. He was a defender. We were never going to draft a defender. So at that point, you're never, you're, you're in that 20th spot. The pickings are slim for Generation Adidas. And so they had Owen O'Malley on their minds this whole time, we found out. If that's true, and, and we don't have any reason to believe it's not, but assuming it's true, they trade out to the 20th. They have to know O'Malley's not going to be available. And so when they accepted the Charlotte trade, they had to know, the guy we want, we're going to have to do something else to get back up here. So it, it is at what point in the next few picks did they actually identify uh, Seattle, I think it was, at number nine uh, to make the deal with. Because also you're seeing, you make the, you make the $400,000, $450,000 deal with Charlotte. You don't want to lose most of that. You want to keep a majority of that, right. half, I would say. So as we're drafting here in the first 10 rounds, you can go back and look. The value of the picks for GAM started to dwindle pretty quickly. There was 400000 with 50 conditional for the first pick. Uh, there was, when you get down to the fourth pick, there was $250,000. The fifth pick was 225. The seventh pick was 175. And what we ended up trading Seattle for to get into the number nine slot was 175 plus our third round pick. So I think somewhere between that, I don't know, third and sixth or seventh pick, that's when Lutz is probably reaching out to those next few teams. Maybe he calls up, maybe he calls up Seattle first, second, or third. 
but the other the other thing that goes along with that is 12 of the first 13 picks were traded. So Lutz is trying to make these moves. Lutz, Bradley, uh, Vin, Hackworth, they're all trying to make these moves. And knowing that if they want their guy, they need to get back up into that top 10 realm quickly after trading out of it for the boatload of gam. All of these other teams are making moves. You're getting, you're getting New England. You're getting Vancouver. Uh, you're getting Real Salt Lake. All three of these teams traded up into the top seven picks. And so, you know, you're hoping that O'Malley's going to be available in the top 10 or 11 where he's projected to go. So it seems like that worked out pretty perfectly to where we didn't have to pay a premium. So we, we were right in line when it came to the value of GAM for those picks. So it, it seems like almost serendipitous that we were able to find that. And so then we land on our presumed number one, Owen O'Malley. So... I don't know. How much have you looked into Owen and, and what do you think of that, that pick in and of itself? So uh, before, before we go into that for a moment, I thought, okay, maybe we will wait until number 20 and maybe we don't want a generation yep. Adidas guy, but um, back to uh, Owen O'Malley. Well, on that point too, the, the generation Adidas was a huge point of conversation, not just in that room, but all over because we've talked beforehand that's like a free roster slot for a very right. top prospect. So it, it comes with cost control to the team, doesn't hit the salary cap. It comes with a guarantee for the player. It's a, a prospect who has been identified as top and a reason to pull him out of college. You know, there's, there's value in that type of a player. Knowing that we had one on the radar, it was, and we were out of position to be able to get one. That, yeah. was, a, that was a little unnerving, honestly, because you, you, you saw these scenarios of us trading out of one, but I kind of always assumed we would eventually end up in one of those which we did, but yeah, it was just, yeah. I can't only imagine what it was like in the, in the war room. It was pretty nerve wracking for fans. Yeah. Especially seeing all these teams moving up, but yeah, I got yeah. to a point where I was like, well, maybe they don't like any of these 11 generation Adidas guys. Uh, maybe none of them uh, have what they think uh, they, they will need for our system. So I was like, okay, let's, let's wait. But, but, but yeah, it's great that they were able to, to get back uh, into that number nine position uh, something interesting um, and I don't, maybe there is nothing there, but uh, St. Louis has done a few deals with Seattle uh, in the yeah. last month or two. Um, so they, they got one international, one international spot from Seattle. Before the expansion Then, uh, then um, St. Louis acquired um, Sam uh, Derenan from Seattle. And now uh, this number nine pick. So... And could could be that that's just been, but maybe there is a good relationship between between the two teams. Who knows? But uh, just thinking about O'Malley, um, when we when we talk about like the top five, he he wasn't one of the players we, we talked about in the previous uh, podcast. But yeah, he he was obviously a generation Adidas player, and um, the one thing um, that caught my attention was that he was part of the North Carolina FC Academy, uh, mm -hmm. former USL championship team. And um, one of the things that I found was that uh, when he was playing with the academy, he got to train with, uh, with the first team too. So he has some kind of exposure to that professional environment, which, High level, yeah. which is good. And um, the other thing uh, I read about him is uh, that he can play in multiple positions, which is always a plus when you have a, player with versatility and um, the one that surprised me was um, look, hearing about the interviews um, 
Lutz gave and reading about them, he said that um, he may be a right back for St. Louis CDSC. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it will take, um, obviously, it will take a little bit for him to adapt to what the team wants. And the good thing is that you have uh, you have CD2, you also have uh, an experienced right back in in, uh, in uh, Jake Norwiski. Yep. And um, so it's not like he has to uh, learn the system and he will be put on the spot right away. There will be some time for him to to learn and, and become an alternative there. Yeah, and he, he's not undersized. You know, he's he's a midfielder, six foot, 150 pounds, 21 years old. Uh, he was a third-year sophomore, so he was one who got an extra year of eligibility because of COVID. So he's had a, he's, I mean, he's had a, a turbulent but interesting time. And he was kind of a goal scorer, too, for Creighton. So he, he's, he said it himself in interviews that he has really good pace and he has good finishing abilities. So his last year at Creighton, he had eight goals, five assists in 23 games. That's nothing to, to shy away from, especially playing that kind of a position where you're not you're not a forward. You're not necessarily being fed the ball. You're having to make things happen yourself. You're putting yourself in position outside of the box to be dangerous. So that that we know is a skill needed from our fullbacks from our from what we saw at City too. So that hint and what we saw of Pedro, and what we saw of DeRosa, you know that that's the kind of style that if you're going to slot him in as a right back, you would hope to see. Now, what I found interesting is. Uh, he did. So we're recording this on Thursday night. He did an interview just this evening with um, Chris Kerber and Michelle Smallman from 101 ESPN. And one of the things that he had to say is besides his great pace and finishing is that in his words, Creighton played a lot of uh, three center backs. And so you had more of a wingback role. So he likened his midfield role a lot of the time to that wingback position where he's out wide pushing high up. And so we've often theorize that our fullbacks play a lot more as wingbacks, despite the mm-hmm. fact that we have a two-center back. To me, that that fits pretty well, and it kind of changes the narrative of a goal-scoring midfielder to what his strengths really might be. Yeah, and, and I think um, the team had a plan. They had been scouting him. As you said, um, they mentioned this was their number one guy. So they have a lot of information on him, and they, I'm sure they see something that made them think that he will work at, at right back. So, uh, so it's a good pick, and not only they got the guy they wanted, but at the end of the day, uh, they got some additional gam uh, that they'll be able to use um, either for this center midfield that is coming or or for something else. But I think it was it was a trading and then still getting the guy you want not even oh my number one was taken now i have to go with plan b my number two which may still be really good but uh they got the guy they wanted and they got some money so i like that and and uh lutz didn't say he was worried about sporting kansas city but i think that was the only unknown so they kind of you saw all those trades that was the only spot in the top 13 that number yeah. eight skc that didn't get traded and so you kind of have an idea of the teams trading up, who, what their area of need is, why they're trading up. So there's all those notions going through. That was the only unknown. The team that didn't yeah. make a move just sat pat. Um, I don't, I, I don't think Sporting Kansas City was in the market for that type of a player. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know how much they value the super draft. They might have just picked him, knowing that we wanted him just to mess with us. I don't know how petty they might yeah. be in that. It's funny because one of the mock drafts I saw had O'Malley going to uh, Sporting KC. Right there, yeah. Um, 
that would have been interesting because at that point we had already traded and we were already sitting because I think it was announced uh, a pick or two beforehand. So they, they obviously knew because they were, you know, that was the only team they were waiting on. But I think as fans, we saw and we were hoping that whoever it ended up, we would have a good story to hear afterwards. And it wasn't, they poached our guy. And yeah. along with that, to, to your point, what we ended up at that point with trades, we ended up with a net 225,000 of GAM with a potential for an extra 50 conditional, which depends on now uh, Charlotte defender Hamadi Diop. So that's a name to remember. He could bring us in 50,000 additional GAM if he meets certain uh, criteria, likely a minutes threshold. That's kind of usually what these are. It's you mm-hmm. get a certain amount of playing time. So that's the name to watch out for for Charlotte for that. But at that point, we've come away with a minimum two hundred twenty-five thousand in gam. We came away with our absolute top target. I don't think if you're Lutz and company, you could be any happier with how that turned out. I'm sure there was celebrating going on in that war room once you pick nine, and then once you pick nine, we still had the twentieth pick at that point. So that, you know, as fans, you wonder, you know, what are we going to do with this pick? Uh, how is it really going to how we still have two extra picks? So the, the story is kind of the same. So we had our generation Adidas player. We still have two more. I don't think it was until the 18th or 19th pick until it was announced, because I, I when I was uh, when I was on with uh, Jillian Sakovitz, it was around that uh, 18th or 19th pick. And she had asked me who I want at pick 20. I think it was right before that. So that's yeah. when I threw out that's when I threw out John Klein's name. And truthfully, I had zero other people on my radar. You know, we had talked that was about awesome. we, we had talked about John Klein so much of man, I hope he falls to us in the second or third round. Do you think it'd be jumping the gun if we got him in the second round, first pick at, at 30th? And, you know, only name I could think of, aside from the fact that we just put so much hope into that it was uh, it was a bit surreal to have had that happen I'll, i won't lie yeah that was, that was amazing when when i was watching the stream and, and you called uh john klein i was like in my mind i was like ah, i think it's a little early maybe yeah. we'll go um maybe well and we at, at that point we had already, already traded our third round um pick so i was like uh may, maybe not maybe he won't fall uh in the cards for us to uh, get him, but that was great, especially for you. That must have been a, a great moment. You well, were there live and hearing the pick. The so we'll fast forward a second to when we actually picked Klein. Um, the 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 production was over. The stream was over. They ended at the end of the first round, and so that's why it took so long. They only streamed the first round. So I had been telling people, you know, we're gonna have to check the internet. We're gonna have to go on the Twitters. We're gonna have to go on MLSsoccer.com. We're gonna have to follow Tom Bogert. We're gonna have to figure it out for the rest of the draft. Yeah. So before we did that, uh, we we quickly found out that we had traded out of twenty. So the only other pick that we were looking forward to live, we. We shipped out to Austin for another, uh, what was it, 50,000 in GAM with another 50,000 conditional. So the minute yeah. I said John Klein, we didn't even have that opportunity for 20. It was taken <laughs> away from us. Uh, but Austin, so real quick, this other name, Valentin Noel, midfielder from Austin, he's another one who, if he meets certain performance thresholds and criteria, could net us another conditional 50,000 in GAM for this year. So that's, a, that's a, another player to watch out for besides Diop at Charlotte. And then at that point, it was kind of just, you know, you know, we don't have any more uh, picks except for 30. And we've talked, we just mentioned 
30 seems a little early for Klein. 20 was mm-hmm. definitely early for Klein, but I could see them. I could make an argument for 30 at that point, just who who's off the board, right? Klein at one point was mocked in the first round right? a, few, a week or two ago. So I didn't see that as a, as a reach, but we get to the end of the first round. We're watching the production get torn down. We're all getting ready to say goodbyes. And I start pulling up MLSsoccer.com just quickly, offhandedly, to see, almost forgot, that, oh, wait, we have a we have a pick that's about to happen. Maybe it's happening right now. I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to wait until the next day. But so I checked as people are leaving. And I, I almost screamed it out before I even had a chance to check myself. I screamed out some expletives, so I hope there weren't any kids around me. But <laughs> screamed out, oh, my God, we just drafted John Klein. And I just like looked around and, and just in stunned silence after that. And then I looked at Stu. I remember making eye contact with Stu and I'm just like jumping up and down on his shoulders. And you can see that one picture that they took uh, like right in front of me. And it was like that another surreal moment where you've got like four or five of us around who are watching the draft and we just start freaking out because what are what are the absolute odds that at that moment in time that we would just happen to pick the only remaining St. Louis person in the draft. It, it just, it blew all of our minds and it was a celebration at that point. So we didn't get to see it on the stream, but that was, that was a, that was the cap to the night and it was the ultimate celebration for us. Yeah, that, that was awesome, man. That's it. Like that's a around went went really quickly. Like uh, as you said, like I, I was doing the same thing you, you just mentioned. I was like, okay, I'm going to look at the, at the website and maybe watch um keep an eye on st louis cdsc twitter because obviously they are next so that's right what, that one probably be announced quickly and yeah I, when i refreshed the site like i saw uh, john klein and washington uh, dc have already picked uh, their 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 second pick in the second round so and and just in in a matter of three five minutes like five to six different picks populated. So uh, it wasn't as as slow and, and intense as the first round. No, not saying that they intentionally put on a production for the first round, but that notion that they had 12 of the first 13 picks were trades, they went down to the wire for each one of those. And so they essentially reset the clock when yeah. they traded the pick. So it kind of drug it out. The second round, there was zero draft day picks uh, or draft night picks. And then yeah. the th- third round went pretty quick uh, besides the number one overall, which Seattle took. And they took defender Blake Bowen. It doesn't really matter at this point. It's just the pick that Seattle took when uh, fr- that was ours. There, I think, I don't think there were any dra- uh, game day tra- uh, draft day trades, maybe one or two in the third round. But that went also very, very quickly and uh, of little consequence to us because, you know, once John Klein came to St. Louis, it was all it was all done. St. Louis City doesn't really care anymore. But the thing about John Klein is, you know, we know him, we love him. Slu, graduating senior, uh, he's 5'7", 140, 23 years old. He's got accolades, just a, a resume full of them. Um, all conference, A10, and he's he's the exciting guy. He's the playmaker, uh, attacking midfielder from Slu, and. The thing about him to me is that we could have gone we could have gone the more traditional route of what I would say looking to a, a position of need present potentially. We could have looked to uh, a, a younger player. We could have looked to uh, an international who maybe we would take a flyer on. 
But hearing the interviews with Lutz afterwards and hearing kind of his, the way he was describing kind of why we took John Klein, it was almost that homecoming story to where we had one more pick. We've talked and he knows how full our roster is, how, how, what our depth looks like. And on top of that, I think our academy really has to play into this. So, so in the past day or so, there have been a ton of conversations in the St. Louis soccer world uh, about the almost the the lackluster performance that people see we have. So we traded away the first pick. We picked John Klein, and so you know, knowing that he's he's good, but what does that really mean? And so, part of it plays into the super draft itself and what it is used for and especially from St. Louis City because we're not a, we're not a typical expansion team in the sense that we're still building our roster and using some of these picks and needing multiple picks to really flesh out the youth of our team. So we have we've had our academy up and running for a couple of years now. You know, we're in our second second full year of our academy. We've had City 2 play a full season including some of our amateur players getting time there. So to me, we we more stack up against some of these established teams like a Columbus, uh, like a New York Red Bull, who have an academy system in place. They have a second team in place, so they have the pipeline ready. What you do to me, looking at Nashville, for instance, Nashville who had like five or six picks, I think. They had a ton of picks in the second, third round. I think two and then maybe three in the third round. Yeah, two picks in the second round, three in the third round, in addition to their first. All that to say, we're not a team like that that needs to stock up on youth flyers because what you do when you do that is you take these 20, 20 to 23-year-old players out of college. They have no relation to your system. They have no relation to St. Louis. They've gone through the, the college pipeline. Maybe they had an opportunity at an academy. Maybe not. Maybe they, who knows what the circumstances were. But we also have all of these 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds 20 now with our U21 team who we've been developing for a year or two. So what does that say to me if we were to use some of these picks on players that more or less the academy kids should and could be stepping up into? Are you, are you in that sense kind of saying our, our positioning, our positions aren't strong in our academy here. We need to kind of have a gap filled at this, uh, you know, this age and this, this trajectory that we have, or are you saying I'm bringing in somebody who we have somebody who I think is going to be ready in the Academy, but now this person is taking their spot, right? They're a draft pick. We we're now spending money on, they have an MLS contract at this point. We're plopping you ahead of them in the depth chart in, in the, the planning. Right. What message does that send to your Academy? If you're willing to do that to your kind of players. So that's the other side of it. Aside from the great homecoming story is the notion of why we didn't have more players selected, why we didn't immediately select the number one overall, and how that plays into what he's been doing and preaching this entire time with our academy. I just find it fascinating that when you step back for a second and get out of the nitty-gritty of the day it happens and kind of see the, try to see the full picture, try to make it make sense, you come up with a picture of a, of a sporting department that not only trusts in the players that they're developing, they trust in the system that they're implementing, but as a player in that system, you have to feel reinforced. You have to feel supported that you're being prioritized. The academy, 
the two team, the under 21s, you're being supported and trusted to be that pipeline as opposed to needing to leverage the super draft in a major way. I don't know. What do you think? Well, uh, that homecoming story for John Klein, I think that itself is also a message hmm. for the academy players. Like a St. Louis guy is going to, was picked on the draft um, by St. Louis City SC. And it's a message to the kids like, hey, in two, three years, you could be John Klein and move to uh, the first team. Uh, kind of setting that standard that you will have some St. Louis guys on the team uh, is great. And, and he he had a great career in, in college. Uh, he scored a lot of goals, lots of assists. Um, obviously, um, he will have to earn a roster spot. And maybe at the beginning, uh, we will see him more featuring uh, with CD2, which is also good to have somebody with so many accomplishments accomplishments at the college level. Uh, he could be one of the leaders for CD2 and for those academy players that will move to play for CD2. You know, I, I think CD2 needs to be um, kind of thought of too in this process. So we, we look at John Klein in particular and you wonder where he's going to slot into. Also looking at O'Malley because City 2 provides that opportunity to give them minutes right off the bat when you're still developing them, when you're still uh, getting them used to the system. Sure, they're going to have a preseason. They know right now, uh, December 22nd, when they're going to, what system they're getting into. So they have an idea. You know, Their preseason is going to start pretty quickly in January with training camp and then the, the Coachella Invitational. This, to me, just gives some more flexibility and almost like a, a breath of air to these guys where there's they're, they're wanting to prove themselves. They need to prove themselves because they want to make it to that first team as quickly as possible. They want to crack, crack the starting 11. They want to crack the game day roster. But there's a place for them to start, and it's not with another team. You don't have to loan these guys anywhere else like Jack Mayer was with Nashville when he first started. He had to go out to, what was it, uh, was it Charlotte, San Diego, one Char of those two? Yeah. Uh, and so, both. I think he played some games with Sometime Charlotte with both, and, yeah. And then San Diego, yeah. So that 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 has a chance to – it didn't with Jack, thank, thank God, but it has a chance to kind of uh, set back your progress in the system if it's a very system-focused, system-specific team, even though you're getting minutes, you're staying fresh. So Klein and O'Malley won't have this problem to begin with. O'Malley, I think, has the more clear path to – the the game day roster to to see more minutes in MLS not just because the generation Adidas but because he has a there's there's a depth that he can slot into real quick he might be competing with Akil Watts on the right side maybe one or both of them can play in the midfield a little bit if we if we have a need so there's flexibility there uh, whereas I think Klein is he's, he he doesn't have his back up against the wall, but there's a crowded midfield, attacking midfield that he's stepping into, mm -hmm. and we don't know how that's going to play out. So that's a conversation that we'll have when we see some preseason games. We know how they're lining up, who they're lining up where, because all of that flexibility up top that Klein's competing against, the the Joachinis, the uh, Denerons, uh, you know. Celio Pompeu, uh, all of the guys on the left-hand side, Jensen, we don't like, we don't know. And then we assume that Ostrak and Azil Jackson are going to be that central mid, but uh, attacking mid, but you never know. You won't know until you see it. So right now I would project that Klein would be 
primarily City 2, with a potential to be signed to City 2 this year. We saw last year in the draft uh, a significant number of players, especially in the second and third rounds, sign their contracts with the two teams. Um, I would say at least half of the players in the second and third round that were selected ended up signing with the two team. Yeah. So that, that, that possibility exists also to give our roster a little flexibility. But either way, I think um, the long-term possibilities are there for Klein here, which is super exciting. Yeah, yeah. And, and starting, even if he ends up uh, going to City 2, that's, that's not a bad place to, uh, to start. Um, you no. will know the system, and uh, there will be times when he will, he will get a chance to train with the first team. And um, one good example, and it's also another St. Louis University guy, um, Simon Becker, he went to uh, Vancouver Whitecaps on the draft last year, and yep. um, he or earlier this year, and he he played with uh, the MLS Next Pro team um, for most of the season. He had a couple of games that he played with the first team. Actually, I think it was the first game he played. He scored, and yeah. then at the end at the end of the season, he um, he got a contract with the first team. So. There are ways to get there, and as long as he's given the chance and proves that he has the potential, he he will get there. Betcher might be the perfect example. Taken in the middle of the first round, he signed his initial contract with Whitecaps too, and mm-hmm. then later in the season, as he 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 proved himself, and there was a need on the main roster, he got signed and, and called up and performed. So that to me is the ideal path uh, for John Klein that I would love to see happen. So if he signs immediately and sees minutes with City 2, I wouldn't think anything of it. I would almost expect that. Don't be surprised. Don't be outraged. That's where that's where these draft picks need to slot in because otherwise, in the past, they'd be loaned out. They wouldn't be getting minutes. Just a detriment. And it would further hamper their, their possibilities beyond the fact that teams have already been more focused on their academies and more focused on their international transfers than the super draft. So yeah. this is nothing but good news having two teams uh, for these guys to play at, you know, in house. And yeah, I even, think, go ahead. Even for O'Malley, that that we think uh, from the two of them, he's the he's the one that oh, has yeah. the great chances of seeing first team minutes. Uh, if he ends up playing as a right back, uh, starting with CD two, uh, will get him used to the system, uh, get familiar with the position. So it's great to have that that option to. Uh, give some guys some minutes and uh, get them used to the system. So uh, we may see at the beginning some of O'Malley uh, in City 2 also. And, you know, it's too early to look at the City 2 roster, but if you assume both of those players are going to start with City 2, you're looking right now at a framework of Dita Armstrong up top, Sergio Rivas, uh, John Klein, and Juan Cousin up front. And then our, our fullbacks are going to be Ezra Armstrong and Owen O'Malley. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it's the opposite of a spine uh, that we have right. too. So they've always talked about building out the MLS spine. Well, we've got the opposite. We're building out the the, the limbs before we get to the spine of City <laughs> Two. Yeah, as funny as it would have it. I do think the Klein thing also speaks to a really cool uh, notion that we've talked since City's inception that it is a shame that we're not able to capture all of these St. Louis players. And you touched on it that that homegrown. Is, is a message to the academy, but I think it's a message, a message to the community as much as it is anything as well, that he didn't have to. There were other ways that he could have filled a roster slot, but to go out and to bring a St. Louis in home 
you know, a, a slew uh, Gallagher alum. You know, I, I consider him a St. Louis and as much as anything, yeah. you know, as his family has legacy at St. Louis University. He, right. he is a St. Louis and as much as anybody else. So to have that player come through to not have uh, a direct MLS way to say he's ours. You know, we, we, we want to homegrown him. We want to put a tag on him. You know, we've identified his talent to be using the only way possible to still bring a St. Louis at home. That that part of the homecoming story in and of itself, both, you know, Klein's staying home and the club doing whatever it takes to keep a St. Louis in who they didn't have any other rights to. They didn't want to let slip through the cracks that that it brings together everything that we've wanted to see from this club. And so that is a heartwarming story. I'd love to see more of it if possible. So we know there's some other there's probably going to be some other St. Louisans from IU who are going to be in the draft, if nothing else, in the next few years. That would be a continuing cool story to happen where you're bringing in, you're capturing, you're closing up these gaps and going forward. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but this was a really good message and a really good thing for the St. Louis soccer community to see. Yeah, and uh, I hope uh, Klein uh, does well and shows his value when he gets a chance with CD2 and hopefully he will see means with the first team at some point too. So uh, I know a lot of people in St. Louis will be rooting for him because he will be a great St. Louis story. Uh, like he did great things with the SLU and continuing that path with uh, CDSC will be great. Absolutely. Anything else you want to touch on the draft? I think that wraps it up for St. Louis, right? Yeah, so uh, one thing when I was looking at Klein, uh, something that caught my attention is that he um, spent uh, some time with the Portland Timbers Timber. uh, U19 Academy. Uh, yeah. I didn't know awesome. that until today when I was looking at his profile. Yeah, he was asked, I think, in one of the interviews uh, about uh, some MLS time that he had in some of those academies. So that was that was interesting. Uh, clearly not enough to have a homegrown tag. You know, right. We, we saw that conversation come up a few times where uh, failed homegrowns on uh, Elijah Paul and uh, CJ Fodry from mm-hmm. RSL and LA Galaxy, respectively. I guess Klein had the potential too if, if that uh, timeline had worked out. But that was interesting to see. And it kind of goes to show the whole history of what we're talking about, where a lot of these kids at some point or another find themselves in an MLS Academy and then, you know, go to college and then they're taken up. That's a, that's a path that exists. And it's a mm-hmm. lot, lot more common than I ever thought before started looking into it. You know, I, I always assumed that if you didn't crack an MLS Academy, you went to college and then you were drafted in the super draft before I really started getting into it the past few years, it never even bothered, uh, never crossed my mind that there would be, and we have an example right now, a few that, that, have been in our academy and are going to college but when you don't have that immediate direct we're going to sign you to homegrown we want to see you on we're going to sign you to city two uh we won't instead it's we want to see you develop a little bit more you know we're encouraging you to go to college to get your degree you've spent time with our academy we're going to evaluate you when you come back like all of those options and just that those different ways of going about it exist and it's a lot to keep track of it's a lot of opportunity for players but it's a lot of different pathways to consider yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll see stories like that with our own academy guys. Uh, yep. Some may be signed right away to homegrown contracts. Uh, some will go to college and get drafted, ho- hopefully by St. Louis or at some or at that point when they get that experience, St. Louis can sign them as homegrowns too. So exactly. Yep. It'd be, be great to see those stories. 
that'll be an interesting conversation. Some of these, some of these guys who we know are going to college, um, and, and seeing if we do tag him with homegrowns as opposed to letting him go into the draft. That's probably a, a few years away. Um, well, unless they get Generation Adidas contracts, you never know. Right. But yeah, 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 yeah conversation. But yeah, we'll hopefully uh, four or five years down the road, we'll be seeing uh, those stories. I remember, oh yeah, I remember the first few games of the academy that uh, this guy uh, was in the Nagora roster. Um, it'll be great to see those stories in a few years. For sure. I think we touched on everything city related in the super draft. Uh, oh, the one last closing thing. So circling back to talking about how we performed uh, expectations people had going into it. Um, Travis Clark, one of the, I think he runs top drawer soccer. One of the, the biggest minds in, uh, in, in youth soccer put out on MLS soccer.com. The 2023 draft grades rated every club. Um, there were, eight clubs who were in the a range so a a plus a minus and st louis city ended up with an a minus pretty cool something to be proud of which really speaks to the fact that you don't have to sign three plus really key talents to be a success in the super draft because of the existence of the academies and your your youth and homegrown and international transfers the global soccer market um, this, we did what we needed to do. Uh, I, I'm sure some gray hairs were formed in that war room in, in the middle of the first round <laughs> there, but you know, by taking, uh, Owen O'Malley at the number nine and taking John Klein at the number 30, we got 400,000 in that first slot. So we walked away from the draft with uh, 225 minimum general allocation money. And then let's real quick touch on before we switch to the schedule, that comment that you teased earlier about Bradley Carnell. So he gave that he gave that interview after we picked Owen O'Malley. And he was asked about some of the allocation money plans by Jillian Sakovitz. And the answer he gave was that they do have somebody lined up. They can't announce it. They can't talk about it. It's in the works. But he asks the fans for patience. And she, the question was specifically framed around, because they had just gotten done talking about it on the air, the central defensive midfield position. So knowing that we walked away with 225000 in GAM minimum, uh, we still have the need. We have the January transfer window yet to come. They have a guy, apparently, that we just don't know, can't talk about, still finalizing. How excited are you that that plan seems to be coming to fruition? I love it. I I love it. Um, my only concern uh, is when he asks for patience. Maybe it won't be in the January window. Maybe it will be in June, July. But still, I think mm-hmm. the, the team is following their plan, and they have recognized this is a position uh, where they need more depth and, and a more experienced guy. But we'll see. We'll see what what happens in the next few days. Uh, in that interview, Lutz gave uh, today in ESPN. He also teased that San, that Santa was around the corner. So maybe uh, maybe we will get a a center midfielder as a Christmas gift. But but yeah, I think as as Bradley Carnell said, uh, just um, we have to be patient and and wait but this we have always said that this guys this team works behind the scenes and uh, a lot of things um 
our lineup and are not yeah. announced until a month or even uh, later. So maybe that guy, the team already knows who it is and they're just working on the final details and um, hopefully we'll get an announcement soon. But if it's not the January window, I wouldn't be disappointed if, if it comes in June, July, uh, when the when the transfer window opens back up. Um, and in the meantime, the team will figure out uh, that position the best they can. But but yeah, the team is working hard and very close to uh, to getting um, all the players they need. And um, just very exciting that we are almost uh, 60 days um, to uh, the beginning of the season against uh, Austin FC. Yeah, it's it's right around the corner. And I think this does, to me, put to bed the notion that uh, Io Akinola is coming to St. Louis. That one rumor that was floating out there that one of the fake Tom Bogart accounts tried to confirm <laughs> that it almost got me. I was this close. If if I had if I had not been distracted, I probably would have quote tweeted that and, and set the world on fire and made it a joke of myself. But thankfully, uh, life intervened and that didn't happen. And I think with our we have we're three deep up front, assuming we have a one center forward position we're going to play. That seems to be uh, what we're going to go with potentially, uh, especially as our roster slots are dwindling pretty quickly. You know, we don't necessarily know who's on the senior, who's on the supplemental. Even after uh, these two picks, O'Malley and Klein, O'Malley will be on the supplemental as a Generation Adidas player. That's confirmed. He has a contract with MLS. That's that's a done deal. John Klein may end up on the City 2 roster to begin with, so that would give an extra roster slot. But as it is right now, you know, with everybody announced and with uh, Ben Lunt's backup goalkeeper heavy rumor, we... Of our 28 slots, we only have three left. Four if, Klein, four if Klein signs with City 2. And then we have potential for two homegrown-specific slots as well. So you look at potentially uh, a Caden Glover, um, Miguel Perez, Aaron Hurd, uh, maybe even a Jackson Delkus. I don't know. But those kind of players who could sign homegrowns uh, would be 29 and 30. So three, maybe four slots are left. And that's it now we also only have to sign 18 senior roster slots so we could be at one central defensive mid and done for now with carrying a couple open slots into the season that may be a scary proposition i don't know that i'd be a huge fan but lutz is a big fan of versatility we still have two international rosters or two international slots he's talked about wanting to keep them maybe he keeps one or two roster slots open to to do something with that as we go on i don't know yeah, and, and when I mentioned the the, the June window, uh, and I know you may not like that, but it could be very well that, yeah, this is a guy that they already have lined up, has already agreed, um, but... That's a lot of patience. Be, but won't be available. That's until, a lot of patience. Until that part of the season. Um, and, yeah, uh, the team may struggle um, the first three, four months until that player comes. But uh, if that's the case, um, the fact that there are multiple players that can play that position, um, the team will will be able to to manage. But we'll see what happens. Sorry, I, I interrupted or, you. No, or, or Max Schneider sets the world on fire as our, our other defensive midfielder, and we run with it. Could happen. That that could happen too. <laughs> like you, you never know when when you yep. give a chance to a player like Max Schneider or Akil Watts. Uh, 
sometimes it just takes for those type of players to get the chance to to prove that they can do it and maybe their chance will come early in the season and and they'll be able to to hold that position until the, um, this new player comes in June July if that's the case yeah we we have uh, a few slots open we have a lot of roster spend flexibility so we have we have Tam Gam the south we're under the salary cap by quite a bit uh, if my math is correct so either way, either, whatever bucket you're, you're pulling from, we have a lot of flexibility going forward. We should be able to, if they want to, make some kind of a splash. So, so knowing that knowing that, and knowing um, the, the time that we have and the, the youth, the unknowns of the youth, all of, that is, uh, all of that's just going to have to play out before we can really get firm beyond any speculation, I think. And with that flexibility that you just mentioned, uh, and I know a lot of people complain that we're not using the third DP, but it could be like a that type of DP player, but just using yep. uh, some of that flexibility we have with the salary yeah. cap. All of our U22s are available, young DPs available. We've got a lot of tools in our belt left to left to deploy. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, so let's talk about the schedule. Yeah, let's pivot. So before the Super Draft came out, the schedule was released on Tuesday. Let's hit the big ones. Uh, the season starts on February 25th, and St. Louis City will make their first appearance in the league at Austin FC Q2 Stadium at 7.30 p.m. on February 25th. I know flights are already being worked on. There will be uh, <laughs> they'll, they'll be ticketing for the away section to, to information to come from the, the club and supporters. So that'll be the first time we actually get to see City take the field at 7.30 p.m. Central. And then the big one, the big one on March 4th. March 4th is the home opener against, of all teams, Charlotte FC at 7.30 Central. So that was those are the first two that were kind of the... They weren't really announced first, but they were definitely the biggest draws. So let's talk about those two real quick before we get into the full schedule. What do you think about opening on the road? And what do you think about Charlotte as our first home match? So opening on the road um, for a new team, I think um, just thinking it is opening weekend and all the attention is in opening weekend and all the teams uh having their first game of the season. I think it's the right thing to do if you want to uh, highlight a new team to the league, you wait until the second week. And opening against Austin FC, um, I think it's also very special uh, for St. Louis City SC. Like we have seen, um, we have seen on TV the environment that the fans uh, put at Q2 Stadium and um, how they celebrate the goals and how they get together before the game um it's a really great atmosphere um so it could be a preview for uh the cdsc players of what the environment will be at city park for week two real quick on the environment uh i had heard too that when mastermind signed and came aboard as our music I forget his official title, Chief Music. Music. Like, yeah, I don't remember either. He was sent to Austin FC. They said, you got to oh. go there. That's that's who we want to see. They've set the bar. There are others that are amazing, but Austin has set the bar now. We need to beat that. 
So that that that's an, you're totally right. That's going to be an interesting and exciting environment for especially city fans who they may not have been to any MLS stadium until we mm-hmm. have a team. So for that to be the first experience of a lot of our fans, that's pretty special too. Yeah, and the other thing, uh, not only the the environment, but Austin FC did very well last season. So playing that first match against one of the top teams on the conference uh, could also be a, a good measuring stick, good measuring stick of where the team is at and how competitive it could be. So even if things don't don't go well that first match. Um, It'll be good to uh, to measure ourselves against uh, one of the top teams in the conference. For sure. And I wonder if the expansion aspect played into the league's planning here, because it seems a little coincidental that yeah. we're going to the expansion team from two years ago and then we're welcoming last year's expansion team to open our stadium. So yeah. I, I get the I get the home match the second week. I I've been a big proponent of that as well. I love to see that. I want to see the the opening week festivities play themselves out. I want to be hyped about that. You have the Rose Bowl El Trafico match happening. The focus is going to be there. We would be overshadowed, I feel, and and yeah. not give City Park its its uh, its due. So the second week is where it should be. And it, it's a little different too because most stadiums have not been ready to go for expansion mm-hmm. teams to begin with. Austin, Nashville, uh, the FC well, FC Cincinnati played in their old stadium, but these brand new stadiums where you had to have a you had to be on the road for months or weeks. We're the first opportunity to really see what is the league going to do to a team whose stadium is ready to go and to open it. And I think the second week was the right call. Now the team I have beef with Charlotte. <laughs> I think it's in good. I think it's in good nature. You know, there's a lot to make fun of for them. They did have a quality first year on the field last year. They they really put it together once, um, once they got rid of the coach who knew his team was effed. <laughs> but I, I and they're making some good moves. You know, they obviously traded with us for the super draft number one pick. They have the defender that they wanted in Hamadi Diop. So, but it, it's interesting that. They would throw them who other other than my beef and what I'm trying to drum up and create a rivalry, because why not? How else are you going to do it? There's really no inherent like larger St. Louis interest in Charlotte FC. Mm-hmm. So so I wonder what the thought aside from expansion was when you have teams sitting out there like Chicago and Nashville and Colorado, like somebody yeah. in the league has to be aware of the Colorado connection to St. Louis and how that could have been fun. Yeah, and, and Charlotte is not Charlotte plays in the Eastern Conference, so it's not even a, a rival in the same conference. So yeah, it was interesting, and it could be that element of, of okay, let's bring the first two, ex, the last two expansion teams, I guess, St. Louis City, or maybe the league got a hold of uh, this uh, Baker Derby, and they want to make a thing out of it. You know, you never know. It's going to be interesting to welcome some of their fans in. Uh, that that I'm just I'll just say I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, but yeah, it, it'll be it, it'll be it'll be a good a good opponent for that opening game. Um, a winnable yeah, opponent too. A, a winnable win, opponent. Winnable too, because yeah, our people may say, "Oh, I want a LAFC or I want one of the top teams," but but yeah, yeah it's it's a game that could be winnable. And um, it's There's always a lot of good different. to start with three points at home. Exactly. There are different angles you could look at. Is it a, do you want a more of a rival, a geographic rival, or a, somebody that you want to create that 
a four hour drive rivalry with? Do you want to yeah. make it somebody nationally known like a Sounders, a Timbers, an LAFC, somebody who has that following and is a big name so you could really tout it nationwide? Or do you want to be winnable? Because you really can't have all of those. And right. I, I, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I would prioritize a winnable matchup, which everybody's expecting Charlotte to be a little better than they were, missed the playoffs last year. But of all of the matchups th- uh, that we've talked about that are in those other scenarios, this does seem like it could be winnable. But we won't really know how winnable we are as an opponent or as a team until we start to see some on-field action. That's getting way ahead of ourselves there. Yeah, yeah. the one I really wanted was um, the derby against Sporting KC, but obviously that yeah. that will not, be, not happen until rivalry week. Um, yeah. But... Um, May 20th will be that first game against Sporting KC. But yeah, I really wanted that one as, as the home opener. And I know some people did too. But obviously, the league likes to put these games uh, in a specific week, which which is fine too. Yeah, so let's let's run through the schedule real quick. Uh, everybody has it uh, in their in their phones and computers, but um, let's just run through. We start with Austin FC, Charlotte FC at home, away at Portland on March 11th. We welcome San Jose Earthquakes on March 18th. We go to Real Salt Lake on the 25th. And then it runs through basically every week or every Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday. Minnesota, we welcome. We go to Seattle. We welcome FC Cincinnati. We go to Colorado. We welcome the Portland Timbers. We go to Dallas. We go to Chicago. Then Sporting KC, Vancouver Whitecaps at home. At LAFC for one of those rare late 930 games. Well, not as rare as I'd like. And then July kind of starts with Colorado Rapids coming here, going to LA Galaxy, going to Toronto. That stretch is going to be tough because of the travel. There's four days difference, uh, July 4th and July 8th. And then we finish July on July 15th against Inter-Miami. Now, might as well not get too far into Will Messi play because it's already been announced. <laughs> He's verbally agreed to go back to PSG. But that was a fun couple of days. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was fun, people joking around like oh i'm gonna sell my tickets and pay for and my season tickets and this pay one for my season tickets and uh, then uh it was uh, confirmed well, it was announced that he had verbally committed to um going back to uh psg next year so so no messy no no inter messy this nope. year no um, but, but the thing um, is though that inter miami match is the last match before the league's cup break so we don't know the dates for the League's Cup yet, but we know it's going to run sometime between July 16th and August 19th, which is what mm-hmm. the gap is. Because on the MLS League schedule, pivoting back to that, our next game after Inter-Miami on July 15th isn't until August 20th, another home game, uh, the, the backside of that Austin home and away. And then we go to Orlando, FC Dallas comes home to us, and then a couple of away games against Sporting Kansas City, Houston Dynamo, LAFC then comes to St. Louis, City goes to Minnesota United, and then we finish September with another third matchup against Sporting KC on September 30th, finishing off the three matches we get against SKC. October is, we st- well, we start October right after SKC, going to Vancouver. There's an international break, and then we welcome the Seattle Sounders on decision day, October 21st, to end the year. That's the only game that is to be determined as far as time which is another interesting thing to this whole this whole schedule is that if you notice every single game is either at 
or your occasional 6.30s if we're on the Far East Coast, and there's one noon matchup against LA Galaxy in St. Louis. A byproduct of the Apple TV deal, right, Santee? So we talked about what Apple wanted to do with the schedule, standardize it to all Saturdays with the occasional Sundays and Wednesdays, and we have the 4th of July matchup on a Tuesday. I think that's the one other. The stat the club put out is that 13 of our games are at 7.30, two games are at 8.30, one is at noon, and then we have the earliest home match is going to be that noon game against Galaxy. The latest home match is going to be at 8.30 a couple times against SKC in Austin. The earliest away match is going to be 6.30 Central, and the latest away match is 9.30. The whole idea is that you have 26 of our games on Saturday. That's going to be your big block of schedule. When is MLS going to be on? It's Saturday. That's that's what they're going for. Is that they want they want to create this destination, known viewing, and you can you can promote it. You can create some content around it, including the Apple TV Whip Around Show that's going to air the entirety of Saturday night, starting around six and going until ten with the pre and post shows, and then you'll have studio shows in between all those for for the broadcasts. But that, to me, is the big win of the Apple deal, is that we have standardized. So we don't have to worry or think, all right, we're going to play at 3 p.m. on this Sunday, and then next Saturday is a 5 p.m. game. There were blocks-ish, mostly when you're considering a two-day NA broadcasts on Saturday. They had some pretty good time slots. But beyond that, ESPN, Fox, they, didn't, they just aired them whenever. And it was tough as a fan to know when MLS was on. This solves it. And as a ticket holder now... I think that helps out immensely because I can just basically say pretty much every Saturday we're going to have to block or consider it. And then you can very specifically intentionally know those five Wednesday matches, the two Sundays and that one Tuesday on July 4th. Yeah. uh, Obviously a lot of games are like late um, Mm -hmm. on Saturday, which is something some people didn't like because um, they want to go to the game with their kids and all of that. But, but yeah, I think I think people will will adapt to uh, that new schedule, but I like the consistency, as you said, like knowing okay every Saturday around this time is when the team plays. Uh, it's easier for planning. Uh, the one thing um, some people don't like is even though you had like the game on Fox, the game on ABC, someone in ESPN, and at different times, like sometimes you couldn't have games like from noon noon all the way to uh, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., and you could watch four or five different games. Um, that was neat. That was neat. But um, I think having that consistency will help um, attracting more fans. And uh, as soccer keeps growing in the U.S., like, you will know, okay, it's always on on Saturday. Like, it's usually around, depending on where you are, um, like, between 4 and 8 p.m. So, so I like that. And, and just uh, this Apple deal uh, we, will give more exposure to, uh, to MLS worldwide. Yeah, and that's the other interesting thing is we, we say that the standardizing it to Saturday nights for 80-plus percent of the games will help draw fans in. And then there's the other argument of you're taking it off of TV and you're putting it behind a paywall of Apple TV. But as with anything, there's nuance to it. So there is, first of all, there is uh, the deal with Fox Sports. ESPN is out, so they're no longer broadcasting for the first time since the league's inception. They did a whole goodbye thing on social media. Taylor Twelman thanked everyone, and it, 
kind of going down with a ship type thing. You know, it's an honor to serve. And he, I mean, they, everybody who worked on and worked in front of the cameras, behind the cameras did amazing with ESPN. The problem we always had were the production uh, beyond the games. So there was a very, there was a lack of focus on growing the sport beyond the block of two hours, maybe a pregame. But there wasn't that dedicated time like you saw with any of the other properties that ESPN had. That's why I personally wasn't heartbroken when ESPN bowed out. What Apple has the potential to do, besides the Fox Sports deal, so Fox Sports airing about one game a week, of which St. Louis City has three, uh, the Sporting Kansas City game on May 20th, the LA Galaxy game on June 11th, and the Austin game on August 20th, all home games, home games will, be, yeah. will be on national television. So that's kind of cool to be able to spotlight City Park on Fox and FS1 for those three games. That Big fan of that. The flip side of Apple is they're, they're still planning on putting a certain number of games in front of the paywall. So you'll still need to turn on or tune into your Apple TV app, but it's it, you'll have the MLS season pass tile or something in the Apple TV app mm-hmm. to access everything, but they will keep some game of the weeks in front of the paywall. So you'll have access for free to at least an MLS match a week. I don't know how many they're actually going to be putting in front of the paywall. Some they're going to make available to just Apple TV Plus subscribers so that if you have that 5 or $6 or whatever a month for Apple TV Plus, you get a few extra MLS games a week. And then everything is behind the MLS season pass. So they're, they're giving kind of windows into uh, pulling people in who may be in the Apple TV ecosystem. It's obviously a draw to get more people into the Apple system as well as the MLS. It's clearly that partnership that's going on here. But I do think there is a little bit being, a little bit being blown up about putting everything behind the Apple paywall. Because if you wanted to watch most games now, in, in the years past, in the past few years, you would have had to tune into ESPN's app. ESPN Plus is where MLS lived. They, they lived, like I said, on ESPN and ABC sometimes, but it was difficult to know when. When you did know, you knew that you could sign up for ESPN Plus and you could get MLS. The win for that was the additional content that you could find. So MLS was a portion of it portion that I particularly think ESPN just had to say they had a certain number of content as opposed to spotlighting, which Apple will resolve. But it's not as big of a difference to me as what we had. And I think the standardizing the game times is the big win for the league going forward. City fans, I think, are stepping in at a really good time to be in this world, especially season ticket holders or ticket holders of any kind, as opposed to the world we were in where matches are all over the place. You do have that one match or two matches a week, but you never know when it's going to be. Yeah, I definitely like that consistency and and yeah, it's it's a new TV deal. Um, but uh, one thing I I heard about Apple is that eventually there will be um, team specific content. So yes, um, maybe not at the beginning, but eventually we'll we'll be, we'll see that available on Apple TV and um, things um, like that you don't see right now. Right. Um, up to this point is something that you didn't see. So it'll be good to see uh, team-specific content. And um, obviously, St. Louis CDSC has been doing a great job creating content for the fans. But um, it'll be great to see some of that content or additional content on, on Apple TV down the road. It's really going to reward putting together such a robust content team that the club decided to do 
when they have this as a as an available method to get their content out and i think we're going to see us personally a significant difference between what we have versus what some of the other teams uh will be creating on there so so the more creative the more more desired content the better off we'll be and city fans are going to love it and i i can't wait for that because i that's something i just crave so you you see all these other in-studio shows and you want to see like news and you we turn to podcasts now to get info on the league but it's going to be nice to flip on the tv and be able to see some of these in studios some of the highlights a lot more than the one weekly recap show that was on espn plus before i'm looking forward to seeing that uh whip around show um every saturday that'd be, cool. that'd, that'd that'd be, be cool. really cool so before we go because i think that's about everything that we had what I'm, I'm interested in Santi. What do you, th- what are you most excited about on the schedule? So I don't know if you have it pulled up there, but what, what, I don't know, three to five games or so are you most excited about going to or seeing or knowing that St. Louis is going to be playing? So, yeah, I, I, I have a, a cop. I have, have like three or four on the list. Uh, obviously the games against sporting kc uh, just because mm-hmm. that's uh, the closest rival geographically and eventually that could grow into a derby um, that's one uh, another one that i really like is september 20th against lafc just because yeah. it is the reigning champion and um, has a lot of uh, great players and it's always great to uh, to play against the top teams in the league and and see where you're at and it's late in the season and hopefully uh, hopefully St. Louis still has a chance to make the playoffs and it could be one of those games that could be a must win for for CDSC to to stay alive so so that's another one I like uh, thinking about um, road games uh, the one that that really caught my attention is the one against Nashville. Um, just because it's also a, a good opportunity for fans to travel and it's another stadium that you could see that had a great atmosphere and uh, it's, it's a bigger it's a bigger soccer specific stadium that, than ours and than some of the ones that have been built recently so 30,000 it'll be good to see uh, what, what they have out there uh, in terms of environment and Nashville has also been of one of the more consistent teams in the last two years um so it, it'll be it'll be a great game too what about you what do you have circled on your calendar so nashville it was definitely one that i had circled that's father's day weekend and so i've already been talking to one of my friends uh who has season tickets around me and we are planning to take the families there tentatively so that's that's a big one and obviously the stadium excited to do that um, also I have family out in the Bay area. So I was looking at June 24th at San Jose earthquakes. That's not really a, this matters. That's just an interesting one to me. The sporting KC ones, obviously love that we face them three times, May 13th against Chicago fire. Looking forward to going up to soldier field. Um, I've never been to soldier field for any game, so I'm excited for that. And then, um, I don't, I don't know. I was kind of annoyed with the July 4th game at LA galaxy. I would have been I would have been pretty excited if we had a home July Fourth game. Oh, yeah. Fireworks after that would have been cool, but I'm kind of annoyed that we have a July Fourth away game. Um, that's going to mess up firework plans. Uh, <laughs> the Tuesday, I don't know that one. That one irked me. It's Galaxy. I don't. Know. July first, though, before that, that one's going to be welcoming the Colorado Rapids for the first time. 
Oh, that that one's going to have a unique flair to it, so I'm excited to see that. Uh, we have typically had somewhat of a somewhat of like an antagonistic relationship with FC Cincinnati, dating back to the USL days and the We Crush the League <laughs> stuff. So I'm kind of excited for them to come on April 15th. And then uh, September 23rd at Minnesota United. I haven't been to Allianz Field, and I'm excited to go there and see for the first time. My first experience there being watching City. Um, and then obviously decision day. So we have a home game on decision day. That's cool. So we'll be in stands. We'll be checking phones. Hopefully we'll be in playoff contention because what they do on decision day for anyone listening, if you're still listening at this point, thank you. But if decision day, usually the reason is TBD, they always slot Western conference teams playing later in the day, Eastern conference earlier, everyone plays at the same time. So you have all of that, um, the, the sweat and all of the interest in, who's going to be making the playoffs and no team is able to see the others before they finish their own game. So it's a lot like the premier league does it. It's a lot like they have, uh, but it's with conferences. So that's, that's fun. So I'm excited for the Seattle Sounders to finish off the year and every, every home game is going to be a party, but I'm most excited about those. Yeah. Yeah. Seattle Sounders uh, is also um, exciting for me. It'll be a tough game though. It, it will be, but uh, not only that that decision day game, but also one early in April. Uh, I, at least for me, it's it's um, interesting, exciting because Seattle Sounders before St. Louis had an MLS team. Seattle Sounders mm-hmm. was my MLS team. That was ah. my first MLS game I went to, and um, I kind of became a fan and watched more MLS thanks to uh, the environment. Uh, I experienced at, at Lumenfield. They they have a great uh, atmosphere yeah. when they play at home, and um, I, I got some appreciation for Seattle. For Seattle, uh, um, and I have a good friend in Seattle. Uh, she's not gonna like that. I'm no longer <laughs> gonna be a, a Seattle Sounders fan, but uh, it'll be great to to see uh, St. Louis playing against Seattle Sounders. And as you said, hopefully it's a game that matters, uh, that we still have a chance to make the playoffs. Um, and um, imagine if it is one of those that whoever wins uh, makes it or uh, both teams need a result. So, um, so yeah, decision day is always bring uh, great stories and hopefully St. Louis will, will still be in the running when, when that day that game comes to, to town in October. Yeah, the only other interesting thing I, I note is we have very few back-to-back to like very few strings of games home or away. I noticed that. So it's like two two games home, two games away, I think is the max that that we have, which doesn't really give time to, you know, there's no home stretches. You know, I've, there's a game a week, but that was just notable to me that the travel schedule is kind of broken up that way. And there are some, for the most part, it seems like the away travels for the team is going to be fairly straightforward. Sporting KC, Houston Dynamo, FC Dallas, Chicago Fire, but then you have that one in July, Galaxy going from home to the Galaxy to Toronto in a span of seven days. That's yeah, a lot. Coast, of, coast. yeah. That, and then and then back home from Toronto, you get a week break before Inter Miami. That stretch in July, we're going to talk a lot about because it's going to be tough travel for the team. Yeah, I will imagine that the team will probably go from LA to Toronto, but we'll see. Yeah, they've only got four days, so yeah, it's only four days. So yeah, coming back to going back to St. Louis, I don't think makes any sense. No, no. Well, I think that about covers it. Anything else you got, Santi? 
No, no, that's that's all I have. Uh, excited, excited because keep getting closer and the roster is almost set. Um, maybe we'll get uh, some news um, before Christmas or on Christmas. We'll we'll see. We'll see what what this team surprises us with. I mean, that's the goal of recording this, right? So Lutz teased something for Christmas. We obviously know that things like to be broken once you do a podcast. So we're doing our <laughs> part in recording this so that we can urge some breaking news and maybe a player signing or something fun on the field for Friday. If, if it doesn't happen, you can't blame us. But it was fun to see what happened this week. It was fun to have all this happen right before the holidays. And, you know, hopefully everybody who's listening gets some good time for the holidays, family, friends, some relaxation. I'll try to do the same. Santa, you have fun in Puerto Rico with the frogs. I don't think we can hear the frogs, but but they are there as always. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and happy holidays to you, Matt, and stay warm. I will try. It's it's a lot harder for me than it is for you, but I'll give it the old college try. <laughs> That's all we have for Flyover Footy. Thanks for joining us. And if you're still with us, an hour, 15 plus, God bless you. Thank you for doing that. And uh, we've had fun this week. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Whatever you celebrate, we appreciate you. Thanks, and we'll talk Merry to you later. Merry Christmas.